Welcome back to another episode of the Quantium Cast. I'm your host, Brian Kier, and amidst a two-week-long shutdown, which could extend to maybe three or even six months, I'm sat here at my desk as usual, thinking, what will be the impact of this whole situation on businesses, families, individuals such as myself, who probably haven't experienced a situation like this in their entire lifetimes. So sitting at my desk, I ask myself, how are we going to cope? But first, before we try and understand what we can do next, we need to actually look at what has been happening, which this podcast is going to be about. Most of us know about coronavirus, probably not in total detail, but at least we understand that it is an epidemic and we must be social distancing to avoid contracting the virus. Now, we've seen a total confirmed cases number of one plus million people, which is a little bit crazy considering the amount of testing hasn't been as widespread as we'd hoped for with such an epidemic. Now, with these problems, you'd expect people to be staying at home. But in Britain, many people have been spotted enjoying the warm weather over the weekend, despite government advice to stay at home amid this pandemic. It's even worse in the US. I called a friend of mine over in the States and he told me it didn't really seem that people were taking the government's advice seriously to not come outside, to essentially stay at home, self-quarantine if you have any symptoms, get yourself tested whenever possible. Now, there are some logistical issues with getting tested at the moment. They're trying to reduce the testing time from I believe a couple days to a couple hours. But the scientific side isn't the focus of this particular podcast. A lot of people think about small businesses and how they're going to be impacted. I believe, what is it, 20% of the UK's workforce are derived from small businesses. It's an interesting component of the economy. Now, I'm going to give an example of a friend of mine whose family own a restaurant, of which has been passed down many generations. They were originally immigrants to the United Kingdom and decided to reside here permanently. Their business model includes the majority of its revenue coming from restaurant sales. So people coming in sitting as families with hopes of enjoying a nice meal. Well, for my friend's business, their sales from takeaways represent a mere fraction of what their restaurant-based services do. Now, the interesting reason as to why this is the case is because to come on to places like Just Eat and Uber Eats, you have to put up a large amount of money to just start using their services. Some of them charge administration fees, should we call it, of roughly £699. And they also can take up to 30% of your menu cost. Some restaurants have margins as thin as 15% per meal. So if you're paying 30% to use Uber Eats, etc., the problem is you might actually be making a loss. You might have to write this off as a marketing expense instead of an opportunity to grow your business and improve profitability. So I assume the consensus would be to think that these businesses can just switch to getting deliveries. Well, what if they couldn't afford to be on those delivery services before? Is it even worth delivering at this point when you're making negative margins, even with the government coming out and saying, we'll furlough your workers, or we'll just pay 80% 
of your employee costs, your total employee costs. Bear in mind that's contractual. A lot of these local businesses pay in cash, so you probably wouldn't assume that all workers are protected, especially those businesses maybe that don't declare their profits. Assume you declare £7,000 profit, but you're making 50 grand. If you're a self-employed business owner, for example, then you might not be able to cover your general living expenses. What, 80% of £7,000 is £5,600. 80% of £50,000, if you were to declare all of it, would be forty grand. Obviously, there could be a debate of it's probably their fault for not declaring, but once again, we're all humans. You can't live off of that amount of money if you have, I don't know, a family to feed in the UK, that's for sure. It doesn't matter if you're in Portsmouth, where I'm at, or you're in London, where the majority of things are much more expensive. It's very difficult to live off that kind of money. Think about a mortgage of, say, I don't know, eight, nine hundred pounds a month. That already puts you into negative territory. So these businesses have been forced to close down. Think about it this way. If even by paying 20% of your staff's wages, you're not having really any revenue, what's the point? And by using these delivery services, let's just say you're using Uber Eats or Just Eat, you're not actually going to be making money out of it. You're probably going to be making a loss most of the time. For big businesses like McDonald's, this probably isn't the case. But for small local businesses that are trying to compete, what you might find is that they are actually cannibalizing any potential profits. They're eating away their chances of doing well as a business. Why? Maybe they're trying to market. But in these times, you need to be surviving whilst this lockdown is going on, this shutdown, as everyone has been talking about. It's now been going on for two weeks, and we've seen what it's done to the financial markets. We've seen what it's done to small businesses. Obviously, from a moral perspective, it is totally wrong to reverse anything. We should totally keep this shutdown going because one life, hundreds of lives, thousands of lives, maybe even millions of lives in the UK are much more important than the survival of a couple of businesses. However, these businesses falling are not due to their own faults a lot of the time. We'll sometimes think and say, well, airlines had useless buybacks. They were wasting business money for years by just paying back investors when they didn't actually need to get the share price artificially higher in the short run or these high dividends. And now they don't have enough cash. A lot of banks at the moment have decent cash reserves as a result of the Gulf financial crisis. But then we look at airlines, they're vulnerable. These travel companies with no sales, no revenue, how are they going to be able to operate for two, three months? Some businesses like TUI, after analyzing them myself, I saw them at risk of potentially going bust into administration due to liquidity issues. Their margins are so tight that what happens if one exogenous event like this coronavirus epidemic comes around? Well, you can see what happens to their shares, but the actual brutality, in my opinion, is more so what's happening to their balance sheets. And look at how many people they employ. The likelihood is that government's gonna come out and say, we're going to bail out these companies, but then who's to say that in the future, these companies won't act maliciously in terms of wasting their finances or at least not being efficient enough in the way of not making sufficient cost savings. You can see big businesses these days were buying back. It wasn't just airlines. 
anything from pub owners to semiconductors to whatever, you name it. In fact, in a future episode, we're going to be looking at L Brands, the owners of Victoria's Secret. We're going to be looking at how vulnerable they are. They actually sold a fair bit of their holdings in Victoria's Secret, the entire brand, anything from pink to their lingerie and beauty division. Pushing L Brands to one side, you can see that the impact on the economy anything from these local businesses that you see besides you the people that the independent coffee houses that you would love to just sit in and have a nice conversation nice coffee and maybe americano espresso latte whatever they may be gone depending on the severity of this shutdown now governmental support only goes to a certain extent my biggest fear with what's going on right now with the government guaranteeing certain areas debt being able to come out and say, look, we will pay your staff costs up to 80%. In some cases, employees are unable to receive their pay. Many people on zero hours are very vulnerable to this kind of thing. The only issue that keeps coming up in my mind is the government's not able to cover the demand that would have been there. Obviously, thinking from a logistical standpoint, that would be a nightmare. But these businesses would have been making hundreds of billions if we look at total sectors and that now all goes to zero look at national express suspends operations look at easyjet suspends all their fleet on to the ground so no flights are coming what does that mean no revenue what happens to their costs they're still paying for their costs a lot of these airline businesses have hedges huge hedges that have gone wrong as a result of oil prices collapsing it doesn't matter that oil prices have recovered by what 40 percent from lows they have still this almost down 50 percent for the year it's crazy maybe not 50 percent more so 40 percent but that's still a brutal situation you've seen these airline hedges resulting in roughly billions of dollars of losses just for individual firms we had a company in the US that filed for bankruptcy the other day, they were already levered. The interesting thing is a lot of these oil companies are highly levered to the point that they were already trying to renegotiate certain structurings of their debt, restructurings that had been going on. Now with much lower oil prices, their futures may be very uncertain to the point that a lot of people will be losing their jobs. We're talking tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands across separate nations worldwide. Millions of people could be losing their jobs. And using basic economic concepts, if less people are earning money, what happens? They're probably going to be demanding potentially welfare benefits from the government. So the government's expenditure is much higher. What happens to the expenditure that they would have had? These luxury expenditures, expensive holidays, buying, I don't know, consumer goods, like, uh, I don't know, let's use a simple example, Xboxes, Playstations, all of that. People would not be able to afford those, should we say, luxuries to the point where the economy is going to start struggling. Not just because of Xboxes. People will be visiting supermarkets less. They will be restricting expenditure. They might be holding back their expenditure, realizing that prices may fall. In fact, they might be hoarding right now realizing that prices may rise you've seen people paying exuberant amounts for toilet paper and hand sanitizer i literally remember the other day getting a message someone saying you should totally buy this dental hand wash for what three for ten pounds weren't they 50 pence before this is crazy bear in mind this could be temporary but if we're talking in terms of a long run meme of what prices would be that's how the cpi is really calculated using a basket of goods 
over the next couple of years, we could be seeing a lot of inflation. Why? Because interest rates are so low. They're almost at zero. And in some places, they're negative. How does that work? Well, God, I need a little bit more time to explain that to you. But what is going on right now? I don't know. I'm getting a headache thinking about it. And why am I sitting here at 10 p.m. just going through all the mad situations that are going on? Well, I think we need to be careful. A lot of people think markets bounce a little bit. They think that there's not going to be a recession. They think that the government's paying the staff costs. That means all of a sudden these businesses don't have debt issues. The government may guarantee their debt. What about the lost revenue? If we look at the S&P 500, for example, a lot of people talk about valuations in terms of price to earnings. Sometimes we'd see what a 16 price to earnings ratio. Let's just assume that the S&P 500 had $100 total earnings across the entire index and it was trading at a 16 times price to earnings ratio. Well, that, let's just say for 2020, right? End of 2020. That would have the S&P 500 trading at $1,600. What was the last level I'd seen? Something like $2,500. And I remember we were in the high $1,800 point when we had quote unquote bottomed for the near term. Now, the interesting thing is, assuming we go to $1,600, we have a lot of downside remaining at the current moment. We could easily recover into the next year but in terms of earnings, we are looking a little bit expensive for this year. Companies cannot be trading at higher levels until things recover. We can't just assume that this lockdown would last for, what, three months? It would have a huge impact on total earnings. And then the next year, everything recovers. A lot of businesses may not even survive. The government cannot bail everybody out. Now, I worry retail was already having a hard time. Retail was struggling. Today, we heard about Debenhams, who actually filed for bankruptcy. That was really unfortunate. They've been a business that have been around for a while. But the reason why they fell was simply due to the fact that as market conditions were favorable, they still had one core focus, reducing debt, or at least being able to sustain debt, keep it at a manageable level. They weren't having any additional investment into the business. They were just having a point where they would pay off their debt interest repayments, and a little bit of their debt. Well, what happens when they have a bad year with their really, really crap margins, just like Carillion had? This is literally a similar situation, just a different industry. But the overall concept is what matters. Debenhams had a bad year, accumulated a lot of debt, breached covenants, didn't have the ability to renegotiate any restructuring, and then essentially went boom. Now for investors, a strong idea is to understand gratitude in these types of market environments, to develop a value-oriented investment philosophy. The most important thing at these times is to keep discipline. It's an underlying principle to my whole system as well. To put it in a real-world example, if you're waiting for 20 years, maxing your ISA, I think it is very important to not fall victim to these short-term swings in the market. Now, my view is that we could have the potential of going into a depression, but this is not to do with the coronavirus itself. This could be a result of interest rates being near zero, potentially going into negative territory, QE not having the effect that it once had, and then policymakers getting to the point where they need to think about new elements of monetary and fiscal policy or new policies that can boost economic performance. 
There's also the issue of huge debt bubbles, particularly in emerging market economies. That was one thing I brought up on on a podcast quite a while back. Nothing to do with causing a recession, but more so a correction. When you have two things on top of each other, they start to they start to make more of an impact. But if we talk about things in terms of drawdowns, since 1928, in terms of days since the all-time high and the total percentage drawdown, this has been the shortest time in which we've had a drawdown of its magnitude. 2020 compared to 1929, 1987, and many other, should we say, phenomena that have caused market crashes. But what has happened after these recessions, or even depressions, should we say, there has always been long-term market returns. So the smartest thing to be doing is assume we get to the recent area of support, maybe start adding monthly direct debit contributions. Once we see companies reporting really weak earnings, fear and panic arising, maybe it's smarter to start investing for the long term. I suggested an idea on Twitter a couple days back. This uh, was before oil rallying about 40% in literally a couple of days. I suggested to maybe start buying on incremental drops in oil price from 20-ish dollars, 21, 22, whatever, and downwards, and trying to get a decent average and hold for simply a couple of years, having little risk because it's unlikely that oil will go under. Oil, the commodity, is an asset through ETFs like PBRT in the UK that are pound-hedged, PCRD, that's for WTI, PBRT is for Brent. These assets essentially can't be levered to the point where they go bust and appoint liquidators, these administrators, and you'll never see them again. Like Excite Petroleum back in 2016 was a huge company with huge prospects. What happened at the bottom of the oil market? They actually went bust. Oil recovered afterwards. Now, by being in the asset itself, you can reduce your downside risk whilst being able to benefit from the long-term rewards in the future. Thank you so much for listening. That concludes my weekend thoughts of potential impacts on businesses and also some bonus ideas of things for the future. What I am actually looking at right now is the outcome of the oil discussions going on for Monday. Apparently we've heard of delays in talks. You'd assume oil to quote-unquote, as we've heard Bloomberg put it, crater on Monday's open, or should we say Sunday night's futures open for us over in the UK. In the near term, for the financial markets, things could get ugly. But to provide some long-term perspective, if you had investments in the US markets, let's just use the main index of total stocks in the US. Let's just use that, for example. So we put all the indexes in the US together. If you got in at the start of 1987, just before one of the heaviest market drawdowns of all time, maybe not as bad as the 1920s and 30s, that depressionary area. But if you held your stocks through that crash and also the recent crash in the markets during 2020, which is probably quite similar and could even be worse, who knows? Depending on how you measure this, you could be up roughly 15 to 20 times over that 30-ish year period. Patience is really everything, and I will end on that note. I've been your host, Ryan Gear of quantumresearch.co.uk. Until next time.